morning, Church. I hope you're all well. I hope you keep safe. I hope you adhere to the regulations with regards to personal safety. Um, you can see we here in the family take it very seriously. I can confirm that we keep social distancing. Therefore, the camera is exactly 1.53 meters away from me. So you are um, all can relax. You are safe. Oh, sorry, I have just been informed by my producer that my phone has been updated with the latest antivirus software and accordingly that this is not needed anymore. I'm grateful for technology because it feels a lot better without those things on. <clears throat> Often at the beginning of a church service, the leader would say to the congregation, quickly get up, go over to someone you've never spoken before and greet them, welcome them and um, so on. And I'm always, because of my personality, not that comfortable in situations like that. And I've said that I will never, ever do something like that. But you know, the Lord is a way of working in us um, and in me with this inner vow. He worked and today I can say to you all that I think I have been healed and set free. So please, quickly, get up, go over to someone you've never spoken before, um, greet them, welcome them. And so, okay, all jokes aside, let's get into the word. I previously spoke on Christmas and the significance thereof. I spoke on Easter Friday, the crucifixion, the significance, the significance of Easter Sunday when Jesus was resurrected. And we saw how all these uh, events, these celebrations, these festivals which we have, are interrelated, all forming part of the big plan that the Lord had all along. Um, and we saw how if one of those events are missing, how it would affect the other events. Um, today I want to look at the day of Pentecost. And we know Pentecost as the day upon which the Holy Spirit was poured out onto the church. Now, I've titled my sermon 50 days later. The word Pentecost means 50, and it happened 50 days after the Resurrection Sunday. I'm very thankful towards the leadership for affording me the opportunity to bring the word today. Um, on Friday, past Friday, we celebrated the um, Ascension of Jesus, um, and according to my calculations, on Monday the 1st of June would be the day of Pentecost. I want to look at this <coughs> from briefly just looking at the history of the day of Pentecost. Then we're going to look at certain pro uh, promises which Jesus has made, um, instructions he gave. We're going to look at the events that took place on that day and the effect that it had on the church thereafter. And then I'm going to try to bring it all together. Now, <coughs> Pentecost is the New Testament uh, word for a very old uh, festival, which was known as the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of um, Harvest, or the Day of the First Fruits. Um, and we look, we pick it up from Leviticus 23, verse 15 and further. Um, Whenever I refer to scripture today, I'll be referring to the NIV, the New, English, uh, New International 
uh, version unless um, I state otherwise. So Leviticus 23 from verse 15, we read that from the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count of seven full weeks, count of 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, Bring two loaves made of two-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour, baked with yeast, as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. Present this, with, this bread with seven male lambs, each a year old and without defect, one young bull and two rams. They will be a burnt offering to the Lord, together with a grain offering, and drink offerings, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. The Amplified Version says it is an offering by fire, a sweet and soothing aroma to the Lord. Now, this festival, as we said, took place 50 days after the Passover Sunday. We know that the Israelites celebrated Passover, um, the um, day that they ex that they left Egypt um, and they celebrated that with unleavened bread, with bitter herbs and with lamb, which was prepared over a fire, not cooked in a pot. The, the evening before the Israelites left um, Egypt, they were told to have this meal prepared in this way. It was a meal which they had in a hurry. Therefore, the bread was not allowed a couple of hours to rise with um, the help of yeast. Um, the lamb had to be prepared over a fire. It wasn't allowed to cook in a pot for four hours. And they had to eat it with the staff in the hand, ready to go. Um, and then we see in Deuteronomy 16.3, it refers to, to uh, unleavened bread as bread of affliction. Now, affliction means distress, pain, trouble, misery, hardship. That is what they, what they were remembering when they had this celebration or this feast. But then 50 days later, the Lord says, on the day of the first um, harvest, um, I want you to bring to me an offering made of the finest flour, fine grain, baked with yeast, Yeast is a living organism. It multiplies. And in this sense of the bread, it signifies life. So they had to bring that to the Lord. Um, and we see that it was a burnt offering, an offering by fire. Now, you would be justified to say to me, you said you're going to speak about um, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Why is it necessary to, to go into where this, um, the history of, of Pentecost in the Old Testament. Well, well, we'll get to that and I hope you'll see the answer because I pointed that out just to show the uh, detail of the God that we serve in each and everything. His perfect timing. Nothing is a coincidence. He is the creator of, amongst others, time as well. Jesus um, <clears throat> in John chapter 14 from verse 15 and further um, and, and this took place 
on the same day as the later events in chapters 16, 17 and further on which Joel gave that powerful uh, preach last week. The same day he gave certain promises to his disciples. We read from verse 15 that he says, If you love me, keep my commands. That is all that is said in the whole of verse 15. Seven words. But that, those seven words, in my mind, encompasses the whole um, message of the gospel. If you love me, keep my commands. What does it mean to keep his commands? We find the answer in the second letter of John, verse 6b, where John says, As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. So, Jesus says, If you love me, walk in love. And that, if we look at the life which he led, the example which he, he um that for us, everything that Jesus said, everything that he did, was done and said in love. Everything. There is nothing that he did or say which was not out of love. So, <coughs> if we love him and walk in love, verse 16, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor. Now the word will is very significant because it is a guarantee. We know that God does not lie. We know that Jesus only said what the Father told him to say. So the moment that Jesus says, I will ask the Father and the Father will give you, that's a guarantee. There are no maybes, no hidden clauses. It will happen. All we have to do is love him, walk in love. And the Father will give us the counsellor. Now, it is important to go a bit deeper into this word counsellor um, to uh, appreciate what it actually means, to appreciate the whole effect and the fullness of that. The amplified version um, refers to counsellor, helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, strengthener, standby. Now, the New English translation in the commentary says that there is no single English word that has the same range of meaning as the Greek word for comforter. So I want to spend a bit of time just to, to, to see what, what this means, what this gift is that we get. You see, it's important because if you, for instance, get a gift, let's say your, your father gives you a brand new um, smartphone and you open it and you start using it as a phone. You never um, go onto the net to see what this phone can do. You don't go into the manual to see what um, options and uh, they, they are to this phone. Then you would use it as a phone and perhaps a camera. But you won't know of all the social media you can do with it. You won't know of um, all the functions, the video functions, the music functions, and so on. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. We have to appreciate what this gift entails. 
so that we can enjoy all the benefits from this gift. So counsellor um, is defined as someone who gives counsel, who advises, who gives guidance. A helper is someone who helps, who supports, who partners with, who collaborates with. A comforter is someone who comforts, who consoles. An advocate is someone who pleads on behalf of, who represents, who um, argues someone's case. An intercessor is someone who intercedes on behalf of someone else, who mediates or negotiates for someone. A strengthener is someone who gives support, um, emotional strength. And the best uh, is, is the last one, which I, I never saw before, but this standby. Um, and I love the Cambridge Dictionary uh, definition of standby. It says that it is someone who is always ready if the other one fails. Isn't that amazing? Standby, it's like that standby generator that um, is ready when ESCOM fails. The difference is just that in most instances you have to maintain the generator, you have to feed it with fuel. Um, some instances you may have to start it. But yeah, the Holy Spirit is there at all times. As my standby, as your standby. To immediately, when we fail, step in to assist, to argue on our behalf, to plead on our behalf, to help us, to guide us, to give us wisdom. Jesus continues in... Um, and say that he will be there to help you forever, this counsellor. Now, sometimes we have to, to take a word from scripture and we have to go and look at the original Greek or Hebrew meaning to see what it actually means, like we just did with comforter. But the beauty of the word forever is, it is plain and simple, forever is forever. David, in Psalm 103, says the following, From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear Him and His righteousness with their children's children. With those who keep His covenant and remember to obey His precepts. This is a prophecy by David of what Jesus said to His disciples later on in John 14. It also reminds us of um, the Ten Commandments. I think it's Exodus 20 verse 6 where the Lord said, I will um, show favor and love uh, to thousands of generations of one who, who loves me and who obeys my, my commands. Um, so the point is this. The helper comes the moment that he is brought at the moment that you receive him, the moment that you baptize in the Holy Spirit, he is there as your comforter and as your your companion forever. It doesn't stop. You don't have to wait for heaven. Eternity is here. Heaven is here. The comforter is here. And he is willing and anxious to walk with uh, all of us. Um, and it's confirmed again in verse 23 of, of John 14, um, where Jesus says, We, the Father, 
and I will come to them, that is, to those who walk um, in my commandments and who love me, and we will make our home with them. So right now, the Trinity, Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit says, we will come and make our home with you if you walk in love and if you love me. Verse 17, Jesus says um, about the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth. Now, <clears throat> the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. The Spirit of Truth is something that is an essential of all three, the persona of the Trinity. We see in Isaiah 65 and in Psalm 31, where Isaiah and David refers to the Father as the God of truth. We see in John 14, 6, Jesus referring to himself as the way, the truth, and the life. They're all linked through this truth, and that spirit of truth will be with us and live within us. In verse 18 he says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. 23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. So, again, anyone who loves me, now he says, will obey my teaching. So, where he initially said, love me and obey, he now says that everyone who loves me will obey. In other words, again, you can't separate it. You can't say, I love Jesus, but not walk in love. The two goes hand in hand. Verse 26 he says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, <coughs> the promise that Jesus makes is that if we love him and we keep his commands, then we are entitled to receive the Holy Spirit. And I use the word entitled intentionally. We live in an age where we often hear um, people talk about a spirit of entitlement. And because of the Constitution, I am entitled to X, Y, and Z. Um, and often people don't um, appreciate the responsibilities that, that goes with that as well. But in this sense, we are entitled. You see, um, as, a, uh, as a parent, you are by law obliged to give shelter, food and clothing to your children. And your children, by law, are entitled to shelter, food and clothing. We, as children of God, are entitled to the gift of the Holy Spirit. The father is not obliged, like a natural father, 
to give it to us, but he gives us the Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, because of his great love for us. In Acts 1, Jesus, just before he ascended to heaven, gave certain instructions to his uh, disciples. And we read from verse 4, where he said, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Verse 5, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Why did Jesus tell them to go to Jerusalem and to wait? If we read further on in that scripture, we will see that after he, he ascended, they went back to Jerusalem and they were excited. And, and so why was it necessary to do, go and wait? I think the, the answer is twofold. First of all, it is to prevent a reoccurrence of the situation that we read about in John 18, verse 17 and further, where Peter the rock, after he was warned by Jesus, and after he said that he will never deny him, deny Jesus three times, he was under no threat. The, the third time he actually denied Jesus uh, to a girl. So there was absolutely no threat to him. The question is then, if the disciples now, having regards to the persecution that, that was to follow, went and started their ministry without the power of the Holy Spirit, what would that have looked like? The second reason, I think, is that we read that in that period of 10 days between the Ascension and the day of Pentecost, they spent the time in continual prayer, Acts 1.14, and continually blessing and praising the Lord in Luke 24. So through praise, worship, prayer, they did not only within themselves um, strengthen their relationships, but also, I believe, that they prepared their hearts as good soil for the Holy Spirit and for the fruit of the Holy Spirit to come, so that when the Holy Spirit came, they were ready to go with that. Um, <coughs> In Matthew 28, Jesus said to the disciples, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, the instruction in verse 20 to um, teach others to obey, to walk in love towards our fellow men, um, as I said previously, this was illustrated by Jesus throughout his life. Everything he did was based on love. And that is what he says. Go out and bring that to, to everyone. Um, again, he repeats the promise to be with us until the end of, of times. He will not leave us as orphans. 
but he, the Father and the Holy Spirit, will come and will make their home with us. Um, spreading the gospel, we, I believe, are representatives and stewards of the gospel. We are not consumers of the gospel. There's more than just our own salvation. And that is why that instruction is so important. And to enable the church to do that, the help of the Holy Spirit is needed. So let's get to the fun part. What happened on the day of Pentecost? Um, We read that in Acts 2 from verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing like the blowing of a violent wind, the amplified said a rushing violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard, um, the Amplified said, from the upper room, their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of them are speaking our native language? And then he goes and, and he mentions the languages, um, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, a lot of other ites and so forth, until um, verse 11, uh, Christians and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Verse 12, some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. The Amplified said, They are full of sweet wine and are drunk. I want us to try and picture the scene that took place in the upper room. Those who were present were the eleven disciples, um, the women that followed Jesus during his ministry, Mary the mother of Jesus and Jesus' brothers. They gathered in an upper room, not um, on ground level, And all of a sudden, they hear the sound of a rushing wind. Now, I asked Google what the term rushing wind means. And this was a reply that it includes winds of 75 kilometers and more, a typhoon, a wind that destroys houses, and a wind that sweeps everything in in its way and brings havoc. In addition to the wind, they saw what looked like tongues of fire that filled the house and that spread. Now, the important thing is that Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. He didn't say when, he didn't say how. No one knew what it would look like. So imagine these people in this upper room. All of a sudden they hear this this sound of a wind that destroys everything in its path. 
a wind that can blow over houses. And that is followed with fire. It must have been quite a frightening sight, I think, not knowing what is happening. But then, the flames, the tongues of, of flames, separated and rested on each of them. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that so descriptive of our Father? It's just that when, when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came and rested on him. Amongst all these havoc, the gentleness of the Father comes through because it rests. My wife says I can't preach without referring to Psalm 18. <laughs> but it does remind me again of that, that scene with David and the turmoil and, and they describe how the Lord is angry and the fire and the smoke and so on and then he goes down and he gently picks him up out of his um, situation. You see, the God who created everything, who through his words caused 100 billion galaxies to be formed, who by the vapour of his breath ensures that planets are born. The God who holds the stars in his hand and calls them out by name, who calls the wind from all four corners of the earth, the God who brought fire down on Sodom and Gomorrah, who filled the earth with water, flooded the earth with water. That God, my God, your God, is a gentle God. He is gentle to us, his beloved children. It is amazing. You can get quite emotional about the mere thought his amazing, awesome love for us. It reminds me, that scene again, of the scripture in 1 Kings 19, 11 to 12, where the Lord said to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came fire, the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. It's amazing. The symbolism of the scripture we, we read in, in, in Acts um, of the fire and the tongues um, is something which we should consider. Tongues, a tongue, is the organ we use to communicate with. Um, Jesus said that we will be his witnesses. We are his witnesses by speaking that we should teach each other. We do that by communicating, speaking. That the Holy Spirit will teach us and will remind us of what Jesus said to his disciples. All 
speaking, using the tongue. One of the gifts of the Spirit is speaking in tongues and then also speaking in foreign languages as we have seen in, in that scripture. Um, immediately when the Holy Spirit rested on them, they started speaking in foreign foreign languages and tongues. So the, the word tongue is not a mistranslation. It is something that symbolizes the, one of the effects of the outpouring of the Spirit. Fire, on the other hand, symbolizes divine presence. We know that in Exodus 3.2, the Lord spoke to Moses from a, a, a bush, a burning bush, a bush of flames. We know that <coughs> in Exodus, again, we read that the Lord led the, the Israelites at night by a pillar of fire. We've read that um, burnt offerings and offerings by fire were brought on the day of um, the first harvest. And in Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist said that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So there's a great significance in this word, fire. And I, appreciate, I hope that you now appreciate why I went back to look at Leviticus, where this um, festival comes from, to see that where the Lord has spoken uh, or has commanded that the offering be brought to him, an offering of fire, an offering of um, bread made with yeast, the finest flour, on the day that that festival was separated, that is the day that he decides to send the gift of the Holy Spirit. Like Jesus died on the day that they celebrated um, being set free from slavery. That's the day that Jesus died. No coincidence. That's how the Father planned it. Fifty days later, when they celebrated the new harvest, the Holy Spirit is released on the church to equipment, to, to equip them to bring in that new harvest. Um, we saw that the crowd was bewildered when they heard the gospel being proclaimed in their own languages and dialects. It was something completely unheard of before. They didn't know what was going on. Um, and therefore, the only explanation that could be tendered by some of them was that the people were drunk. They couldn't think of anything else. Why would they say um, that people were drunk did it appear as if they may have been drunk? I don't know. I have seen in one or two of our prayer meetings that um, when the Holy Spirit um, descends and visits us, that one or two people may appear to be less steady on their feet and um, there may be a bit of loud laughter. And it may resemble some kind of drunkenness. But in Ephesians uh, 5, uh, Peter, uh, Paul says, Do not get drunk with wine but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is interesting that he uses in the same sentence the drunkenness and the filling with the Holy Spirit. He could have meant that we should not um, waste our time on partying and drinking and so on. We should rather seclude ourselves and spend time um, praying to the Lord getting filled with the Holy Spirit. On the other hand, 
Paul um, evidenced many occasions where the Holy Spirit was poured out. And it is possible that he observed uh, people having been filled with the Holy Spirit that appeared to be drunk. I don't know. I don't want to speculate, but I'm sure to ask him when I see him what exactly he meant. What, what is this outpouring of the Holy Spirit mean to us? What was the effect that it had on the church? We see, first of all, that the power, were, the power which Jesus promised was evidenced by the actions of Peter. 50 da- 53 days after he denied Jesus to a girl, Peter gets up and in his first preach that we know of, gave such a powerful word that 3,000 people were added to the church. And that is quite amazing. I remember the day that I gave my first preach. One person gave a life to the Lord and I thought, yeah, that is amazing. Can you imagine? You give your first preach and you add 3,000 people to the church. We also see in Acts 4.31 that other believers who, after they were filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke the word of God boldly. So it brought boldness and courage. Stephen, we read, did great wonders and miracles and miraculous signs. Um, We read in Acts 6 that Stephen, when he was seized, um, was interrogated by uh, members of the synagogue. But they could not stand up against his wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. So the spirit, the counsellor, provides us with wisdom as well. The courage of Stephen. You know, when Stephen was stoned, he looked up to the sky and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. The Holy Spirit brought to him the kind of forgiveness that Jesus had at the cross when he asked the same thing of the Father. The faith of the people reached such levels that they brought the sick out onto the streets so that if Peter walks past and his shadow falls on them, they would be healed. We read of many instances where after the um, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, angels appeared and set um, the apostles free from prisons and from chains. After the apostles uh, were released on occasion from captivity during the, which they almost were almost executed, we read in Acts 5.41 that they rejoiced because they be, were being counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. They captured, they almost executed, they, by divine intervention, set free, and they rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer. We saw great persecution broke out after the Holy Spirit was brought out. And that scattered the believers throughout the whole of Judea and Samaria, where people were then filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and baptized in the Holy Spirit. They accepted Jesus. We read about the Ethiopian um, Minister of Finance, the, the um, head of the, the Queen's Treasure. Uh, Jock spoke about it a couple of weeks ago, um, who was also baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, and spread the gospel into Africa. There was a man who breathed out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, called Saul. He was saved, transformed, and mightily filled with the Holy Spirit to become the most well-known um, apostle of all times. A person who wrote, I think they said a third or something, third of the Bible. Many people were raised from the dead. We read about uh, Peter and Dorcas. My favorite one is in Acts 10, 11 to 16. We were given the authority to eat bacon. Peter saw this vision. I think he was in Joppa. And this sheet that came down and the Lord said to eat. And he said, I'm not going to eat and uh, because it's unclean. The Lord said, I've made it. You can't say you're not going to eat it. Amazing, brilliant part. Uh, it was made clear to Peter that God does not show favoritism, but that he accepts men from every nation who fears him and do what is right. We read also after the outpouring that Gentiles from Caesarea, that was a major port in the area of Palestine, which was used by the um, Roman Empire for um, entering the land. In that town, people were filled with the Holy Spirit. They started speaking in tongues even before they were baptized in water. And through that, the gospel was spread out. Through that port, the gospel was spread out. People in Corinth and many other areas received the gift of the Holy Spirit um, and started speaking in tongues and prophesied. The gospel was powerfully preached um, all over a large area and it spread and many, many miracles, signs and wonders were performed. I want to conclude by asking a couple of questions. Now, to those of you who consider his people, Peter Maritzburg, as um, their home, it would be, asking these questions would be like the proverbial preaching to the converted. Um, but still, I want to ask it. And I don't want to offend anyone. I, I thought about these questions a lot, but, but I felt prompted by the Lord to ask them. So in obedience, I'm going to ask them. And please, I reiterate, it is not to offend. But the first question is, why do we find among so many believers a reluctance to fully embrace the Holy Spirit? Why is there such a strong sentiment, sentiment amongst some believers that miracles, signs and wonders ceased after Revelation was published? In other words, why, was it that, why do people believe that it only happened in biblical times? Why do people believe that God spe stopped speaking to his people? Or that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is something that we only read about in the Bible? 
Second question is, what happened that some believers do not accept the Holy Spirit as counselor, as helper, as comforter, as advocate, as intercessor, strengthener, and standby, that was sent by the Father at the request of Jesus for this day and age that we're living in and forever. Again, forever is from the day here where we stand today on this Sunday morning. In the past, that was the time that Holy Spirit was there. It was available. And from now forward, into eternity, everlasting. Why do we not believe it? I say we, many believers, believe in Jesus Christ and that he came and that he died for our sins. I don't believe that the Holy Spirit is here as a gift from the Father and that his gifts and the benefits of his gifts are just as powerfully in work today as in those days. I wonder if the Holy Spirit is saddened by the failure of many people to recognize him in more than just a name. Without wanting to, to belittle the Holy Spirit, I want to use as an illustration the story of this old man who was a recluse. And when he came to the end of his life, he decided to cash in all his possessions, everything he had, and to buy gifts. And he then took those gifts to the entrance of the mall in the little town that he was living in. And he stood there with all these gifts, wanting to hand it out to people. Some people came and completely ignored him, just walked past. Others glanced at him and then simply walked past. Some were too scared, too cautious to approach him because they could not intellectualize what he was doing and why he was doing it. It didn't make sense to them that someone would take all he has and just start handing it out. Is that the case with our spirit in the age that we're living in? That man had the best intentions. He wanted to bless the people. The Holy Spirit has only the best intentions for us. He wants to be our counsellor. Today I want to thank Jesus for asking the Father to send the Holy Spirit. I want to thank the Father for adhering to the request, for granting the request and for sending the Holy Spirit. I want to thank the Holy Spirit for his obedience to come to be our counsellor, to be our helper. And I want to thank the leaders of his people, Church in Peter Maritzburg, for creating an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit is welcome at all times. Where it is more important what the Trinity wants to do 
than what is on the agenda. The Holy Spirit yearns for our fellowship, for our time, for our lives. He wants to be our companion for everlasting to everlasting, 24-7. Let us fully embrace Him. Let us individually reflect on this. Where can I allow Him to be my counsellor, my helper, my comforter, my advocate, my intercessor, my strengthener, and my standby. But for the price that Jesus paid on the cross, there is no greater gift than the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let us not disappoint Him. Let us open the gift. Let us take hold of everything that he has to offer for us. Shall we pray? Father, you are an amazing, amazing, loving God and Father. The creator of everything with that gentle spirit to love us under all circumstances. Jesus, our friend, our saviour, thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you for being our comforter, for being willing, being anxious to spend time with us. Help us Lord, to give you the place in our hearts that you desire to fill. Speak to us, Lord. Thank you. We love you. Amen.